Hier ist Florian und I'm today here with a new guest, Holger. Holger, introduce yourself. Uh, thanks for having me, Florian. I'm uh, Holger, one of the founders and CEO of Blinkist. And Blinkist is a Berlin-based startup uh, or mid-sized company uh, in these days that helps you to fit more reading and learning into your everyday life. We do that by transforming the key insights from non-fiction books into a format that we call a book in blinks. And a blink, a book in blinks is something that you can read or listen to in 15 minutes on the go when you commute to work, when you work out during the day or when you're relaxed on your couch at night. So blink is a nice summary of a book. So how you would how would a blink of your life look like or sound like? Oh wow, that's that's a really tough question. It's really hard to to boil that um, that long life down in, into a blink. But I'd say I, I grew up in a small town in the middle of Germany. I um, studied business administration because already in school I've um, done some projects uh, thanks to a teacher that were focused on starting your own business. So we kind of had a game where we would think of a business idea and then start it in uh, not not in real life but in theory and and pitch that to to other teachers so that kind of instilled my entrepreneurial spirit and then I went on to university to study business administration to learn the yeah basics of starting a company and running a company I had the first real life entrepreneurial experience in university where I started with colleagues from university, I started a student consultancy where we would um, go to other companies and pitch them projects, how we could support them with their marketing or other projects. And with two of the two of the people, two of the friends that I started that consultancy with, I also later went on to start Blinkist. During that, or through that experience in university, we were really, really bullish on starting a company on a bigger scale after university. So we would frequently meet and think about ideas that are worth founding a company with or problems that are worth solving. And eventually we um, yeah, found or kind of came to the idea that later became Blinkist and then started Blinkist back in 2012. So that's my professional life in, in a Blink. Awesome. So if you could give or summarize two advices out of your study times, like out of the projects you had all together. What were the two key learnings you took from there, from this time? You mean from while I was at university? Yeah, exactly, with the um, projects and like all the... So one personal advice, I really, really, in hindsight, appreciate that I took time to study um, and also took time to travel and experience a lot of things personally and professionally during university. There are some, I guess, some students that want to rush through university to to start working and start making a career. But what I realize right now, once you're uh, once you're in a job, it gets harder and harder to to do a sabbatical because then you get used to a certain salary, and then it's yeah, you just keep on working and don't really have time to explore the world anymore, or do something that is not uh, not on track with your career. Of course, you can do anything. But it, it gets harder and harder. And I, um, when I was in university, I, um, I mean, I was ambitious, but at the same time, same time, I didn't stress myself out. And I took, took six years overall to study. I planned in a year abroad. I studied in Mexico. I did an internship in China for six months. I did a lot of internships in general to um, to test uh, different, yeah, different career paths. And uh, a lot of thing, a lot of times, I learned what I didn't want to do. 
that was also a really important learning. So yeah, to take that time to really um, explore where you want to go in life, both professionally and also personally, and to discover that beautiful planet here, I think is one of the core advices I would give. And then second advice, more on a professional matter. Well, it's, it's part of the first advice I'd give. Start to, like, if you think you're interested in something, then try to find out whether you're really interested in it in practical terms by doing an internship or trying to yeah do what what you think you may you may want to do in practice uh, and don't wait too long for that because it's really easy to test yourself in different fields during university it gets harder and harder once you're out awesome so you started blinkist and like with every b2c company you have mostly the problem you need to first um give them something you want to buy and then if you have that and like your case the summaries of the books you need to find the people which want to buy it so how did you start to tackle this problem because chicken egg you need both at the same time yeah uh, we it took us a long time it took us two and a half years until we found product market fit when really when you are at a point where you have the right product and the right marketing channels that um, attract the right audience um, for that product um, so went on a long search for that product market fit and didn't know from the start um we we started with a to just build a product that we thought uh, that we wanted to use and we thought that we are um, our perfect first customers and that people like us would like to use that too which was partly right but then uh, we also found uh, through user testing then that the way we designed it the way we built the app uh, wasn't really perfect so that just required us to to fail and then to learn learn from it and, and improve the product step by step and marketing wise it really it was really trial and error we tried a lot of both organic channels and then eventually also paid channels I and mean, then on those paid channels a lot of different targeting methods a lot of different strategies to talk about blinks to pitch blinkers you can describe what we do you can be really more motivational and, and, and focus on the things that you can become with Blinkist and you have a lot of different routes to tell the story to get people interested in initially and also different then also different funnels to transform their initial interest into a buying intent or into an actually purchase. And there was a lot of trial and error. There is no magic recipe. It's really requires i would say in hindsight a lot of common sense so you really need to think put yourself into a lot of different potential customers shoes and then just to just go out there and test different things what was the solution you tested different things what was the one thing which worked or like the two things which Either worked? on the product side um, what helped us was when we switched to um, a subscription only model we tested subscription versus uh, single purchases for each book in blinks um, and there eventually we found that getting you to make a new purchase decision for every single book in blinks you want to read or listen to is really tough because you have a lot of lot of psychologically hard purchase decisions Whereas in a subscription, you decide once and then you can read as much as you want. So that was a really important step for us. Adding audio, we started with text only and eventually then added audio versions was a really, really big step for us because that would open up a new market for us, people that are rather interested in listening. It would make it easier for people to engage because there are sometimes where you can only listen to something but not read to something, and then also um, extending a library to English. We started in German only and then eventually launched English, and that opened up a completely new market for us. So I would say these three 
things really helped us to break through on the product side and, and have a product that that people actually want to pay for. And also that we've built up a, um, a certain library size over time um, definitely helped. And then on the marketing side, it was really started with simple things that are nowadays um, really common sense, but for us were new. Um, and also since the whole startup ecosystem wasn't as developed back then as it is right now, it wasn't that easy to find role models or to find mentors that would uh, help us um, and show us how it's done. So we had to learn a lot on our own. So learning how to attribute certain signups to certain marketing channels, setting up a, an, um, a solid tracking and attribution model, and then learning, yeah, just um, finding the right creative. So we we learned that Facebook uh, mobile install ads worked really well for us. And there we had to learn the types of targeting um, that you should apply, lookalike audiences, no surprise. And these days, everyone who's um, into paid acquisition knows that this is quite uh, this is the thing to do. And then on the creative side, to to find good ways to talk about Blinkist, find good images, creatives that uh, that speak to people, that make them stop quickly uh, when they scroll, browse through their feed. There were yeah a lot of learnings. Uh, one I think one universal learning: um, use people instead of uh, animation, like instead of anything that is more animated because um, when you scroll through your, um, through your social feed, you rather stop when you see a nice face instead of a drawing or something. But then, yeah, there are a lot of, lot of really small learnings and the world is turning every, every month or every year. There's a new trend. Now it's video. Now you need a video to really stand out on Facebook and who knows uh, what's next. Animations. <laughs> <laughs> so, Every startup is a problem, like if you're in the beginning, you have a lot of stuff to do and you need to try to do as much as you can in the small team you have. And then um, you change always the decision when I should hire new people and which people I should hire. How did you tackle that? So we, were, um, we always tried to do as much as we can in the beginning and to learn as much um, about a field as we could to really build some confidence whether... We really need a person in that field, and also if we need, if we have the confidence, we need a person in that field to be able to evaluate who's good and bad. If you've never done something, uh, it's hard to hire the right person because anyone could tell you anything, um, and you just have to have to buy it. Um, so we always, yeah, followed the approach to develop some expertise on our own, um, and that also required um, some some extra hours in the early days, which I think is is completely normal. Um, but then, yeah, then uh, once we knew, for example, that paid acquisition is the way to go for us to grow um, and it will most likely be Facebook and Instagram in the early years before we tap into new channels, then um, we yeah, did everything we could to find, find a person who's already done that, who's capable of doing that and, and bringing us to the next level there. And then... Um, yeah, now we are now in these days we have a really good employer brand. Back then, no one knew us. Um, there were, were not a lot of um, inbound applications coming in, so we had to go out there. We had to ask our network. We had to go to events. We had to stalk people on LinkedIn and reach out to them and, and pitch them Blinkist, pitch them the opportunity where we want to take the company and how could how they could be um, um, yeah an, an important part of that journey. So, so you focus first on marketing, right? Uh, both. I mean, I'm I'm talking about um, marketing. I choose some marketing examples now because I'm. That's what I've been um, yeah. doing um, a lot yeah. of times. Um, my co-founder 
um, was more focused on the product side and I know my uh, third co-founder more on the technical engineering side. So that's why I choose these marketing examples. But we had these challenges in all fields. Like we needed okay. to hire great marketing talent, product, um, engineering, content. Um, also then eventually um, on an organization um, side, so uh, an HR and people on our yeah. team. Yeah. So... Before we go on to the to the team and team structure wise, um, we learn out of the out of failures. So, what you would say were the biggest failures you had with Blinkist, and you learned the most most which you learned the most out of it? There are a lot of things. It's hard to choose the biggest ones. Definitely, one a big mistake we've made it was to launch in German instead yeah. of in English. There was a failure in here, or not a failure, but a big a mistake, mistake in yeah. hindsight. Let's, let's say mistake, that, not failure. That um, that um, limited our market artificially. Yeah. It didn't have any advantage. We could have, especially in Berlin, where you have a lot of English natives, we could have built an English content team as easy as we as it was to build a German content team. So. And if we had started in English, um, the early years would have been much easier for us because we learned that in Germany it's hard to sell a digital subscription, whereas in other, especially uh, English uh, markets, people are more progressive, are more taking a risk and, and just buy buy a service if they like it. Um, so we faced a lot of a lot of tough battles in the beginning until we then rolled out to English. That was definitely a huge mistake. Um, Another, like on a smaller side, um, I, I still remember when I had to to let the first person go. We had an intern back then, and um, she was a marketing intern for, and for six months, and she wanted to stay um, after these six months and and, and, and shift into a full-time role. And um, I knew quite early that it's probably not going to work out, um, but, but um, she was doing a good job at we were too young and too early to uh, we didn't have technically the need for a marketing person she didn't have a chance to do a good job um, but I didn't realize and then one week before or two weeks before her internship was over I told her that actually we don't uh, we, we can't offer you a full-time position and that was that came completely by surprise because we've never talked about it in the first six months and it was a big mistake and a big uh, like something that I needed to learn to a be uh, really honest with people if they either don't perform well or if they perform well but if I realize for whatever reason that we don't need this position um, so such a message doesn't come by surprise um, and yeah to in, in general have more frequent check-in on how so check-ins on how someone is, is doing I think you never like when I swear uh, to myself back then uh, I never want to be in a situation again where I have to confront a person with such news and it comes as a surprise yeah um, that's two things that came to mind that's really good learnings so blank is like quite famous like for your internal structure if you are quite um you have a quite um unique position on that um do you want to tell us something how you build up your structure and how this developed over time sure yeah happy to um we started uh, without thinking about organization or culture just we, we were focused on product on marketing and then unconsciously build a classic hierarchy in the first two years with us founders as the department leads and everything that you've seen in a bigger company we had it um, and then after two years eventually realized that this sucked uh, we were we um, finally had our own company um, and then did uh, 
built a culture that was not fun and, and not nice to work for and then took a step back and um, thought how, how else could we organize Blinkist um, in order to yeah, uh, have a more a modern and a more engaged um, workplace. Um, then we did some, my co-founder did some research and found um, an organization model called Holacracy, which is really focused on empowering people, um, really flat hierarchies, decentralized decision-making, transparency, and so on. And we thought that that sounds really well, uh, sounds really nice, and uh, why, why don't we test it? So we, we started to roll out Holacracy um, when we've been around 15 people. And then we rolled it out. We rolled out a small, a light version of Holacracy, which we called Blinkracy. And then we grew from 15 to 30, 35 um, in the next 12 to 18 months. And during through that growth, um, there were um, we were facing a lot of new problems. Um, so, Holacracy, this implementation of Holacracy, solved some problems but introduced new problems. For example, since Holacracy is um, a term that you can read about, uh, everyone read about it. Some read the book, some read articles, some heard a podcast. So we had uh, out of 35 people, we had 10 different definitions of holacracy, yeah. and now we work together. We also didn't do a good job on on describing what we what blinkracy is in detail. And then um, uh, an additional problem was holacracy is a really technocratic um, system. There are a lot of different rules for every single thing. So. We, we learned or we experienced that in a lot of situations where we were facing a challenge, people were not asking themselves how could we solve that challenge, but what should we do per holacracy to solve that mm. challenge? So people were making it more complex and doing a detour instead of pragmatically solving problems and solving challenges. And the last part was that a big misconception of holacracy is that there is there are no managers, there is no leadership. But we hired leaders to be good leaders and to guide people and to mentor people. But those leaders felt blocked um, to actually lead um, because of that misconception of holacracy. And at the same time, the circle members, the team members, felt a lack of leadership. They didn't grow. They didn't uh, sometimes didn't have someone to seek advice. Um, so due to all of these problems and, and many more, we decided to step away from holacracy again and build our own system that is that we own, that you can, can't can read about and have a different interpretation about, and that takes the best things of holacracy, but simplifies the rest to, to not kill people with too many um, pages and too many things. And that system is called the Blinkist Operating System. Um, it has values at its core, values that de describe how we want to work together. It has some guiding principles around there that give people a guiding star when when to make decisions. Uh, we want um, one of our values is still to champion self empowerment. So we kept that from Alacracy. We want people to take decisions in their domains. We don't want uh, managers to take all of the decisions. Um, but in order for people to take the right decisions, we need these values and guiding principles. So they have a kind of a compass to take take the right decisions. And then around that, we have some processes and policies that we find important in order for people to take the right decisions and in order for everyone to, to work together um, well. Uh, and that, yeah, in a nutshell, that combines the best elements of holacracy, strips out the complexity and easy to understand uh, for everyone. And yeah, it's so far working out. We've, we've introduced it when we've been, I think, 55 people. We're 100 now. We've onboarded um, probably 40 new people this year and we have really good onboarding onto that Blinkist operating system now. And it's working really seamlessly. Everyone yeah, gets on board really well. Everyone understands how things are done. Everyone gets into the performing phase 
quite soon. So we're really happy and hope that it's still going to work when we're 200 people. Or maybe we'll have to adjust some yeah. things, but we hope or we, and we're confident that the core values and the guiding principles and the framework in general will also um, still be in place um, with an organization that is twice the size of right now. So what was your main problem with the old department system, like the standardized company old department system? Yeah. So first of all, we founders, as the department leads, we yeah. became bottlenecks. So we yeah. didn't we didn't train people to take their own decisions. People would come to us um, for decisions. So that wasn't good for our work-life balance. For us as founders, it wasn't engaging for the employees to yeah. ask for everything and not not knowing where they could make their own decisions and where not. Uh, it's not really fulfilling, engaging. It doesn't help them to grow. So it wasn't a, um, an environment where you could grow and um, and really yeah move fast and agile. Yeah. It, uh, agility and, and, and speed uh, became an issue eventually uh, because there were these bottlenecks um, in leadership. Uh, and then also we, we saw that some politics started to happen where we founders, okay, if I hire someone in my department, then another founder wanted to hire someone in their department too, or the other way around. So we yeah. all kind of became little politicians, so like in a big corporate. And, and we saw these tendency and we said, that's not who we want to be. That's not what we want to do. And then hope, uh, fortunately saw it and, and reacted. Cool. So then you said like you introduced holacracy and some problems were solved and some new came up. So, um, which problems solved holacracy? Like, what what was gone as problems? So, we holacracy. We defined the circles, and within those circles, we defined roles. And every yeah. circle, and every role had a purpose, had accountabilities, and had domains where they were allowed to take their own decisions. So, that really put power to the people. I gave really decentralized decision making power, and how and yeah, made it more engaging for people because they could take their own decisions they didn't need to check uh, with uh, two different reporting lines all the yeah. time and everything was more explicit so we, it wasn't as random anymore yeah. where i would say okay i want to take this decision and you can take this decision but we wrote it down and then it was clear for everyone we also had a more streamlined meeting policy holacracy yeah. has meetings like a tacticals and governance meetings where you meet every every week in a tactical meeting to discuss uh, with your circle, with your team, to discuss um, certain things, to give you an update, to discuss agenda items. That made things much more productive. It took some... Usually when, for example, when I had an idea, I would write a long email to all the people that I wanted to discuss this idea or that I seeked advice from, and then we would uh, start an endless email discussion. Then once we had these tactics, weekly tacticals, I know, um, oh, I'm going to meet with them next week in a tactical so i'm just going to put that idea on the tactical agenda yeah, pitch good. it quickly yeah. and then we discuss it for two minutes and then decide on next actions that was much more efficient yeah. like like a getting things done trusted system yeah. on a company level that worked really well but then it introduced new um problems such as uh, the ones i described where yeah. people felt like i felt blocked uh, when it comes to leadership um, people overcomplicated things because it became a religion you said like the the leaders felt they were they cut off so how you connected them back in what was your tactic to say okay make the decisions more simpler because with the um, guidelines you had and then have people there which still can lead you how, how did you solve it you just pointed people to each other or how you I mean, made it um, so like first of all it's not that All the leaders at Blinkist felt blocked, but especially um, people that we hired, really, yeah. that came into this um, to Blinkist when all when Blinkist had been set up, 
Yeah. And we hired them as a team lead um, because yeah. also in holacracy we have cir- we had yeah. circles and still had a circle lead yeah. who would perform, which is a role also defined by holacracy to to that has certain domains and yeah. and, and is, has certain accountabilities. So we hired um, people into lead positions, but they felt then insecure in regard to to what extent can they lead, to what extent should yeah. they lead, and the way we solved this when we moved away from holacracy, one part of the Blinkist operating system was a really clear role description of the circle lead description. Yeah, okay. So we still have yeah. circles. We, we kept that um, that name from Alacracy and a circle lead. Um, and now we have a really explicit description of that role, also leadership principles, to make it explicit to everyone what kind of leadership do we want and need yeah. and what kind of leadership do we, or, or management or micromanagement do we not want. Yeah. Um, and that clarity helped a lot. Oh, okay, cool. Awesome. So, what do you would say is your biggest challenge today? Oh, there are lots of challenges. What's what's the biggest challenge? I think it's always challenging to grow the organization um, while keeping the or to keep the culture while the organization is growing so fast. Um, as I said, we've probably hired forty people uh, in the last twelve months, so we almost doubled the organization. And to onboard them in a way that our culture stays, that we stay, yeah true to our culture is a challenge. I mean, the culture evolves, which is fine, which is normal. A culture with 200 people is different than the one with 20 people. But to, to keep that culture great, that's definitely a challenge that, we, um, that we're focused on. And so far, we're doing really well, I would say. But we, we also put a lot of effort into it, and we're not underestimating that it's a challenge. We've underestimated organization in the early days. we hopefully never going to do that again. Then it's always challenging to to keep growing at the pace we're growing. We need to find new marketing channels, need to become more efficient in the marketing channels we're in already. Um, And yeah, explain, like make Blinkist relevant to growing audience year over year. There's still, I think, the biggest challenge in that regard is that there are some skeptics that think that Blinkist is a tool that people may use to replace books. And people say, well, you you can't possibly bring a 200 page books into a five page summary and to to really get across that that's not what blinkist is about that it's rather a starting point for people a smart companion that helps them to to discover new titles to tap into new topics and then uh, then make an educated decision where to dive deeper and give them some high level food for thought and inspiration um, that it's a perfect complementary service to to deep learning like reading a book or taking a class and once people get it, they're excited, and they think, "Wow, that's that's really necessary and needed." But yeah, um, to turn to get the people to see it from that perspective, is it, it's a challenge. And then, and we discussed it before you hit the record button on the product side. It's obviously engagement. Like everyone who hears about Blinkist says, "Yes, of course, I want to read more books." And, and cool, there is a service for that um, that helps me. To, to, to fit more reading, learning into my life. It's the same thing that everyone would like to do more sports, or most of the people. Yeah. But then it's still tough or challenging for people to actually to actually start that habit and keep that habit. And we also see that some of the people who subscribe then become inactive. They don't manage to build that habit over the long um, run. And that's challenging. That That's not an easy... There's no easy solution to that, to really change habits and make people commit to their goals. But it's a really motivating and fulfilling channel uh, challenge because if we succeed and with every person that we help to build a habit, 
we really make a, a significant positive impact on their life. So that's what's driving us here every time. And that's probably the the long-term challenge. The challenge will always be there. They will never, you will never, you will never reach the, the goal. But yeah, that that's what's driving us here. Yeah, more education is always better. The same like uh, sports is always good. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. How do you handle uh, balancing between uh, free time and work? The work-life balance, the famous one. I try to really make time for both. I try to not work too long. For example, in the early days, I mean, we had to work a lot and we also worked on weekends. But once we were out of the really, out of the, how do you say, out of the really tough times and, and a little more stable, We, we stopped working on weekends. We kind of said, okay, this is a business now. Of course, we are founders and we want to make it great. But it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So we need to stay in shape for that marathon. So let's let's really make weekends weekends. So I don't work on weekends. And also during the week, I try to not work too long hours. I usually start around 8 and finish between 6 and 7 p.m., which is still long, um, but it's too, I still don't have time to do something in the evening. Sometimes I go running um, at lunch break um, out of the office. Do Now I've, I became a dad um, four weeks ago. Now I'll leave even a little earlier to have more time with my son and, yeah, to just make sure that I prioritize things and don't, don't chase every opportunity. How you prioritize? I try to really look at First of all, I try to learn better what, what can and should I delegate, what should I still be doing on my own, and what can I easily delegate to people. Yeah. Um, that's that's tough, not because I don't trust people, but because yeah, I'm, I also I still like to get my hands dirty and do do certain things uh, to, to see an immediate impact. So that's what I um, keep learning. And then for the things that I'm doing, I really try to look at impact, what's really important now. Um, what has um, um, the right impact or what can be done really quickly and, and it's not blocking me for too long. But it's still like I don't have a sophisticated system. It's a lot of gut feeling and intuition. Um, okay, cool. So the second last question, I think it's one of the best questions for you. What's your favorite book? Fiction or nonfiction? Uh, let's make both. Okay, so fiction, it's the power of one. A really nice story that plays in South Africa um, and about a, um, a young kid that becomes a boxer. It's just a beautiful, beautifully written story. Um, and nonfiction, I'd say it's Mindset from Carol Dweck um, because it's it's about it, it's about a growth or a static mindset and um, what uh, that everyone has. Everyone approaches different situations either with a growth or a static mindset. And when you are a static mindset. You think that you have certain talents that have been given to you from the moment when you're born, born and uh, some things you're good at, some things you're not good at. So technically, why bother to learn something you're not good at? It's not your talent. Yeah. So in a growth mindset, you approach things with from a perspective that you can learn anything. That there is, of course, you have certain talents. Uh, certain things are come easier to you than others, but ultimately, you can through hard work, y you can learn anything and. When I read that, I became more aware of situations when I had a static mindset and when yeah. I had a growth mindset. And in situations where I had a static mindset, it was easier for me to then to then see that and then also change that and learn how to approach things more optimistically. And also when I, as a leader in a, in a leadership um, position that I'm in now, to also 
evaluate others more with a growth growth yeah. mindset to give them the benefit of a doubt that they can learn things or also encourage them and give them confidence that they can learn something. So I found that really it's an easy concept. It had a big impact um, for me so far. And it's an easy, nice read. It's written really well. Um, so yeah, Mindset from Carol Dweck. So should I read it or should I Blinkist it? Um, both. Both. Give it a try on, on Blinkist to, to get the core ideas. And they are easy. Like um, I mean, I tried to explain it now, but I'm re not really good at explaining, especially in, in, in English. So, yeah, it makes sense to check it out on Blinkist. But then if you're not completely disappointed by the content on Blinkist, definitely check out the book. It's, it's not a long read and it's really interesting. Um, because also, like after I think in the first two chapters, Carol describes concept in general and then she applies it to a certain situation how static or growth mindset helps you in your professional life in your personal life in sports as a parent um, and so on um, so that that's really interesting and it touches different aspects of everyone's life especially also for for young parents now you yeah. can do a lot of things right or wrong with your kids yeah. um, if you tell them well oh, um, if they have a soccer match and tell them wow you have such a good talent at soccer then you rather um, nurture a static mindset because yeah. you always argue with talent. Or if you say, hey, nice, you practiced the whole week and now you scored a goal uh, on the weekend in your match, that f puts the focus on the practice yeah. and the preparation and that rather encourages a growth mindset. So, yeah, lots of interesting perspectives in there. Yeah, awesome. And the last question is, if you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell him? Be confident, do what you like, and don't don't be too afraid. Uh, make sure you always stay focused on relationships and on the people you work with or you spend time with in general, because ultimately they are the most important ingredient. Relationships are the most important ingredients to a happy life. I think I would just, yeah, give that advice. It's not that I, I, I live by that advice. It's not that I learned this because i fucked it up but i yeah would just tell my 20 year old to make extra sure uh, that that he gets it and doesn't fuck it up awesome yeah. thanks a lot for your time cool thanks a lot for having me appreciate it yeah next time guys <laughs>